Every kid will tell you these days growing up is hard to do. But really, growing up is hard to do for every generation in their own way. But these days, growing up is wildly different than it ever has been before. Technology is totally different, socializing is different, and our culture is different. Even in the last few decades, the whole view on religion and going to church has completely shifted. But God stays the same. So how do we show God's love in a changing world? That's today on the podcast. It's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thank you so much for listening into our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you, and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too. We're starting a brand new sermon series today called It's Personal, Helping the Next Generation Win. Pastor Jason's going to explore how our culture views religion and what we can personally do to help our kids and our kids' kids know and share the love of Christ. So let's check it out right now. Well, over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be doing what has sort of been unofficially called the State of the Church uh, sermon series over the next two weeks. We, we always this time of year talk about kind of where we've been because this is the end of our fiscal year. It's the end of our program year. We talk about where we've been and where we hope to go and some of the challenges that face us. And so uh, over the next two weeks, today and next week, we're doing this series called It's Personal, Helping the Next Generation Win. And the reason that we're doing this is because the Christian faith has always been uh, just as good as its ability to hand off the gospel from generation to generation. It is always at risk of going to zero or dying out if it does not successfully hand off faith generationally. And one of the big problems in church in America over the last 60 years is it's not done a good job with generational handoffs. I mean, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you grew up in a church environment that you resented later on? Yeah, don't raise your hand. Make me really depressed. Uh, I was just having a conversation with someone at the baseball field. It's like where a lot of ministry happens as well as some other things. But we were talking about it, and he, he's, everyone's curious when they find out I'm a pastor. It's not always, sometimes it's a conversation killer, but, uh, but, or, or people apologize for dropping an F-bomb, and I was like, anyway, that's just weird. But he was talking to me about growing up as a Catholic, and he's like, yeah, like I had to go to CCD, I had to do all these things, and I hated going to church, so much so that when, whatever age I was able to not go, I stopped because of this very negative experience I had with the church. That's a bad generational handoff. And so what I want to do is to unpack this a little bit more about why it matters, why we're talking about the next generation all the time, why our church is always focusing on that. I was thinking about uh, the reality of being a parent of kids who are growing up now. And, you know, speaking from a place of, like, this is what's happening to me at the moment, uh, kids, if there are any kids who are left here who didn't go to Sunday school, just know we have no idea what we're doing. We're doing our best. We're trying to figure out as it goes. Please keep listening to us as best you can. But we don't know. What we're, and because the challenges are so different, thinking about the world, how I grew up as a kid is so different from how my kids are growing up. Oh my gosh, you kidding me? Just the technology they have in their pocket is more than I ever could have imagined. I remember as a teenager, 
and I'm playing guitar, and I'm singing, and I had to save up money to buy a four-track cassette recorder. Now, see kids at cassettes, this plastic... Anyway, a cassette recorder so you can overdub tracks on it and record and create music. And I saved up so long, all my lifeguarding money, to buy this thing, and they have for free on their iPhone GarageBand, which has more technology than anything I could have bought. For free. It's just part of their existence. And I'm thinking about social media. And then, you know, parents, we're still trying to figure it all out. We have now the phenomenon. It used to be the hovering parents, right? The helicopter parents is what they would call them. But today it's a little different. They're calling them, this is, comes from the educational world, they're calling them the lawnmower parents. And the reason they call them that is, like a lawnmower, the parents are picking up the rocks from the field and getting rid of every obstacle so that their kids can just mow through easily. Pretty good, right? And it also stings a little bit. So, yep, I know, I know. I'm trying to remove obstacles from their path. And it's a detriment to our kids. And you see, like, kind of its worst form in the whole college admission scandal. You see where it can lead. I'm trying to remove every obstacle at any cost for the sake of my kids. It's just different. It's a different world. It's a different world. I think about crossing guards. We, we've joked about this before. Crossing guards now. Now listen, when I was growing up in Southern California, there were times when I was walking, I had to wait for traffic. <laughs> Not in Monmouth County. <laughs> traffic waits for you. In fact, I swear, it's like the kid's a block away, and the guard's out there. <laughs> You're killing me. Like, I'm dying a little bit inside because I can't turn. Or, right, I feel like people get pregnant, and they stop traffic. Because in nine months, that kid's going to come. Anyway. <laughs> it's just a different world. I was, I was looking out. I saw, um, I had this subscription where I could see old newspapers online because I'm a dork. But the L.A. Times in 1955, check this out. You probably can't read it, but this is like one page of Presbyterian church news. What? The L.A. Times? Are you kidding me? 1955, Presbyter Presbyterians to start building. San Bernardino Hospital planned by Presbytery. And there was this whole other page for Catholics and then a whole page of like everything else. But Presbyterians had so much say so much influence. There was even in the LA Times, that same edition, a devotional. LA Times. It was a different world. It was a world where the gravitational pull was toward the church, not away from the church. Society held up church. And of course, it's very, very different. This is a time in our country from the 1930s to probably 1965 that they refer to as Christendom. Christendom. This is a kind of a sociological term that actually speak of when you have church and state together. We never had that in America, but what you did have was kind of all the same privileges of Christianity or Judeo-Christian values in society. Again, that was the gravitational pull. So a professor that I had uh, Dr. Daryl Guter, who is kind of at the forefront of talking about Christendom and what's known as the missional church, which is the church uh, today. Uh, he writes in his book, Missional Church, on page 48. He says, 
he defines Christendom for us as specially designated privileges for the church in society. It was a dominant culture that bore the deep imprint of Christian values, language, and expectations regarding moral behaviors. And here's the challenge with the church. Most of our churches in America are perfectly designed for this culture. The problem is the culture completely changed. And we have not done a great job with generational handoffs. Why? Because we're literally not speaking their language. We wonder why they're not coming. There are a lot of reasons. And again, the gravitational pull now is away from church. So we don't have society helping us. We're going upstream constantly. Case in point, my wife right now is with my son at baseball for their playoff game. The gravitational pull is away from church. I'm going to give you the bad news first, but there is some good news, so don't get too depressed. Every single year in America, we bring this sad up, it is still true. Every year, 4,000 churches close their doors forever. And 2.7 million people become inactive. They go from active members to inactive. Now, there's also a phenomenon happening in churches where people attend less frequently. So even your most regular attenders will come less often than they used to. It used to be every week was considered regular. Now, twice a month is considered regular. And some of you are like, all right. (laughs) This bump. But so... You can see, again, it creates attendance issues in churches, but the average church size in America is 75 people. The average. And that includes megachurch numbers, so it's probably much lower for everyone who's not a megachurch. It is a different world that our kids are growing up in. Here's our denominational numbers. This is the PCUSA for the last five years. In five years, from 2013 to 2017, we have 1,000 less churches just in our denomination. 345 plus thousand members less. That's 20%. That's, that's a huge number. Attendees is even worse. So, you know, the phenomenon in church where you can be a member but not ever come for lots of reasons. But the attendees, that's the number that I think really matters, not the membership number. And it's even worse, 183,000 less, or 25% of the worshiping people who come less in five years. It's a different world. But here's the most troubling stat. This comes to us from Barna Research. Teenagers, 13 to 18 years old, are twice as likely as adults to say they are atheists. Why? Bad generational handoffs. They don't know why faith matters. And not for nothing, I don't want to offend anybody, but this might offend you. The church hasn't done them any favors. How many scandals is, are, are, is it going to take? How many pastors and clergy with moral failure, how much embezzlement, how much, we have not done them any favors. All we've done is give them reasons to say, ha, church isn't the answer, it's the problem. 
I saw this thing online with, uh, I won't say who. You probably know if you saw this video about the pastor who was trying to, was being asked about why he has a Gulfstream jet. You saw that? It was terrifying. I'm like, that's the face of Christianity in America? I don't want anything to do with that. We've not done, the church has not done any favors to the cause. But here's a way forward. I think there's a scripture that speaks to this very moment in culture. And that's the story of Nehemiah. Now, to give you some context, ancient Israel had been conquered by enemies. And they were deported into what was known as the exile. So they had to go to Babylon. They had to go to a foreign country. Some remained, but most of them were kind of carried away with all their possessions, their family. And they had to live in this foreign land until such time as they could return. And Nehemiah is wondering, what happened to the church I grew up in, right? What happened to my people? What happened? What's going on in Jerusalem? Are they rebuilding? Are things going well? And he gets this report. This is Nehemiah 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. First of all, I like pausing here to think about the very personal nature of what Nehemiah had experienced, because it's what a lot of us experience, this sense of loss. For some in this room, you grew up in the Presbyterian church, you have fond memories of that experience. And even if you didn't, whatever you grew up with faith-wise or whatever really speaks to you faith-wise is what you always want to do and then you want your kids to do. That's kind of like the default. And when we see that things aren't going well in church life, I know especially folks who are going to our traditional service see that. They're like, man, this place used to be, you know, in the 1950s, this place used to be packed and we used to have a bigger choir and we used to have, right, there's a lot of sadness over that and I and I get that I've experienced this too you probably experienced this I'm thinking about the summer camp that I went to where I came to faith in Jesus was the most powerful spiritual experience of my life and therefore I want it to never change because it worked for me the problem is it's probably not going to work in the same way for my kids so they have to change in order to make it keep working. And what I do is I get all mad because they changed it. Like, wait a minute, no, that works. They should be doing, right, and it's always the should be. They should be doing, and some criticisms are fair, but I think what it is, it's like a grieving of something that meant so much to me that I won't ever see again in that same way. 
Why? Because it's personal. It's personal. This is true with any change that we're going through in our life. The reason we get so mad at change is because it's got some kind of personal cost. There's some sort of emotion attached to it. It's like in church life. It's like if I were to go into the parlor right now and say, man, these, these curtains got to go. I don't know how long they've been up there. And somebody would probably say, you know what? I hung those curtains with my father, and it's one of the last memories I have of him. I'm like, oh, geez, you know, I had no idea. It's personal. It's all wrapped in. There's a really great book that if you're interested in this stuff about the church navigating um, what's happening right now in America, is it's a book called Canoeing the Mountains with Todd Bolsinger. He was a guest on my I Do a Leadership podcast. He was a guest and uh, was really great. And what he does is he talks about the current situation in America and the church like the Lewis and Clark Corps of Discovery in 1803. He says the challenges are the same. So, in case you're not up on your 1803 history, which I was not, Lewis and Clark, they were commissioned by President Jefferson to go and to explore the Louisiana Territory that they just bought. And the idea was to find a navigable water route from the Mississippi to the Pacific Ocean, the Northwest Passage. They thought for sure they were going to find it. And what did that mean? Kaching, Commerce. So they're on this mission, and Meriwether Lewis is an expert river navigator. That's his whole thing. That's his claim to fame. He puts his team together, Corps of Discovery, and they head upstream, which had to be really hard. They go upstream all the way to kind of get to the headwaters of the Mississippi so that they can go downstream to the Pacific Ocean. And then they wake up one morning... And they see this, the Rocky Mountains. They were not planning on the Rocky Mountains. They took one look at that and they said, oh no, we are not prepared for this. Now the Native Americans warned them, there are some mountains ahead, but they're thinking like the Shenandoah Mountains. Like, oh yes, we've done mountains before. Uh, it, they described in the book, it's like mountains as far as the eye can see, and they didn't know what to do. Now they had a choice. Either give up on the mission and go back the way they came, which would be a lot easier. It's downstream after all. Or figure out a new way to go forward. And they had to leave their canoes behind to get the gear they needed to cross the Rockies. This very much is the situation of the church in America today. We've got to find a new way forward. And a lot of us, a lot of us churches, we have the wrong gear. We have the right mission, the wrong gear. We're trying to canoe the mountains. This is all about uh, what Ron Heifetz calls adaptive change. Two, two kind of changes, technical change, adaptive change. If you're in business, I'm, you've heard this ad nauseum, I'm sure, Technical change is, are changes that can rely on expertise to solve. So I don't know how to like run a contemporary service. I go study and an expert comes and tells me how to do a contemporary service. But adaptive change basically starts with, I don't know. I don't know how to do this. It requires innovation. 
It requires asking hard questions and figuring it out and moving forward. How are we going to get across this unexpected terrain? It begins with I don't know. Now, I liken this to then back at the Nehemiah story. He didn't know how he was going to solve the problem, but he didn't just sit there and weep and give up. He saw the mountains in front of him, and he decided he was going to be a part of rebuilding that Jerusalem. And he didn't know how. He had to figure out a plan, and he had, all the, he had them organized by family to go back and to start rebuilding the walls, to build the protection around Jerusalem. But immediately when he started, what happened? The society around him, all the foreign leaders and kings, were threatened. Now, I don't know if Monmouth County is really that hostile, but our culture is pretty hostile to the church. And so maybe we can identify with this. This is Nehemiah 4, beginning with verse 7. But when Sambalot, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. And I love what Nehemiah says next. Imagine Braveheart. He gives a total Braveheart speech right here. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Freedom! I want to look at some of these principles just quickly because I think we can use these and what it looks like to move our church forward over this next year. Because there are some questions that we're asking right now that begin with, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the right thing to do is next. I don't know. And here are some principles, I think, for us to navigate it together. The first is this, prayer and action. Listen, Nehemiah didn't just sit there and pray and then, all right, God, please fix Jerusalem. Thank you. No, prayer is accompanied with action. You see, faithfulness isn't just like sitting and doing nothing and waiting for God to do something for you. Faithfulness is prayerfully moving forward. It's like a sailboat's not going to catch the wind if the sails are down. It requires some action. It's a cooperative effort with the Holy Spirit. That's how, I don't know why, it's just the way God made it. Because there are a lot of people out there who think the answer to the problems of the church is just simply to pray harder. I would say you're half right. Pray harder and take action. 
The next is we need to stand in the gaps and fight for the next generation because it's personal. Our kids' faith is on the line. And in a world that's trying to pull them away from faith, it's more important than ever that the church stand in that gap, that we do whatever we can because we think faith matters. It doesn't just matter for the hereafter and where you and it's not just for the destination when you die. That we think it matters right here and right now. That faith is meant to be lived. It's a critical part of everything that you're doing. The classes you're taking, the sports you're playing, the friends you have, the recreation you have, the job that you get, it, it's all part of it. And it all matters. The next is it's going to require adaptive change. We need different tools for different terrain. We can't be afraid to say, I don't know how, but let's work on it together. And then fourth, we need resolve and we need resources. That's it. We're a nonprofit. We are 100% dependent on our people to contribute so that we can move the ball down the field. And let me tell you something. This is just, I wasn't even planning to say this. You all have done an amazing job. In fact, our stewardship folks are telling me that like all the, all the giving, I actually don't look at the giving because I never want that to be a thing. I don't want to look at somebody and be like, oh, they give a lot. I better give them some, or, or they don't give anything. And I, you know, I don't want to be like that because I think it's between you and God. But what, what they say is that per person, all the giving is up year over year. That's awesome. That's awesome. So yes, and that's why we're able to move the ball down the field. Because of you. All right. Now, I want to leave you with some hope. And we'll talk about some more of this next week. But the first is this. So year over year, our attendance numbers, if you go to the next slide, compared to the PCUSA. So we measured our most stable attendance numbers in the life of the church. September to November and January to March. So that avoids Christmas and Easter when wacky things happen and it's really erratic. And then summer, which is summer. I'm like, everyone's at the beach or, you know, it's just not as regular. Here's the cool thing. Not including the new contemporary service at nine, year over year, we grew 19% in contemporary service. Awesome. And we were minus 5% in traditional, which I know it's a minus number, but I think taking into consideration that the traditional service that people don't attend as regularly as they used to, that's pretty much a break-even, which I think is a huge win. Now, if you were to put all the numbers together of everything, holidays, craziness, everything, year over year, we are up as a church total 5%, which is a huge win compared to the 25% loss in our denomination. But we're not there yet. And you may say, well, it, it's not just about numbers. You're absolutely right. But we count the numbers because we think people count. These aren't just numbers. These are humans who are developing a relationship with Jesus, who are becoming part of the body of Christ. You're going out to do his work. So numbers aren't everything, but there's something. Here are some other reasons for hope, real quick. We had like 50 confirmation kids this year. What? 
awesome. We have about 150 kids here every single week between Sunday school and fellowship. We have kids who are serving on mission trips. My daughter's going on uh, the trip this year. They're going to be part of repairing something around probably 70, 75 homes in a week. Them and teenagers from across the country. Signs of hope. Also, what we're seeing is kids bringing their parents to church. We also see kids bringing their friends to church. You know, the number one catalyst of growth has been probably the same as it was since Jesus. Personal invitations to come and be part of Tower Hill. And many of you, you're here today because someone personally invited you. I want to encourage you, keep those invitations coming. Don't be afraid to invite people. They may say no. They may say no the first 25 times. Now, don't be a weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) You coming yet? You coming yet? You coming yet? (laughs) But you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Here's the thing. We are in a post-Christendom culture. But Lewis and Clark didn't turn back, and their mission was nowhere near as great as ours. Let's keep moving forward. Let's all answer this question. What will I personally do to help the next generation win?